This morning we look to Psalms chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalms chapter 3. Or you can look up on the screen if you're going to use your phone. The signal here is bad sometimes. So, Psalms chapter 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be to your people. Many, even in nature, use fear tactics. For example, if you see a moth, when a moth sits, it normally sits flat. And you, most moths have two eyes like drawings at the back of them just to make sure that the prey does not eat them up. Similarly, uh, if you've seen dogs fight, normally the weakest and the smallest one makes the biggest noise and growls and shows his teeth. All these are fear tactics. Even we as people, when we have mis disagreements, we often use sometimes uh, things to manipulate or tell people to get our way across. In our offices, even our employers sometimes scare us of maybe you'll lose the job if you don't get this job complete. And so we use fear tactics there as well. Chil parents often tell children things where which would make them afraid and therefore they would go and do something. So sometimes we use fear tactics, especially normally in order to manipulate people, to show something different than what actually is. Satan does the same often. He scares us and he constantly reminds us of our sin and he says that we aren't as worth and salvation is not for you. That you are not someone who can be saved. You are too much fallen. And this is a fear tactic that Satan often uses. The main point of today's passage in Psalm chapter 3 that we just read is that the Lord listens to those who call to him and saves them from their enemy. Again, the main point of this passage is that the Lord listens to those who call to him and saves them from their enemy. The first point that we can see in this passage is that we need to be on guard. We need to watch out for the enemy. Now, a little background before we get into the passage about this passage. This passage is written by David. While the first two, we th uh, thought it might be written by David. This one, clearly right there in the start, says it's written by David. This is written by David when his son Absalom was running to kill him. Imagine having your own son trying to kill you. And you can get the details of the story in 2 Samuel 16 to 18. The details of where this psalm is traced out from, from 2 Samuel was chapter 16 to chapter 18. 
So if you want to read the background later on, you can go home and read it. That's the passage from where the background comes from. The foes of David were too many. There were a lot of them. Even his own sons were trying to kill him. And right now, when his son is going against him, those who didn't like him also have joined hands with his sons. And all of them together are trying to get back at David. All um, those who are close to David, even some who are close to David have gone against him over here. And some of us might have felt how that feels like when you lose a close friend or you lose someone you care for who goes against you, you know how that feels. But imagine your own son against you, not against you, just fighting with you, but trying to kill you. What with the amount of pain and turmoil that you go through? That is what's happening with David here as he writes this psalm. And the sad part is that your enemies have joined your son now to kill you. And these people think they're smart because they know that the God of Israel is with the king. And so therefore, they are fooling David and saying that if you are the king, uh, fooling Absalom and saying if you're the king, if you're the one right now who will defeat David, then God is with you. And so giving him false assurance and asking him to stand in the place of being king. And so Absalom is king and David has fled the city. That's what's happening here. And he has run away. He is not, he's run away with fear, but also at the same time there is grief and there is hurt going on in his heart. I want to think of yourself and put yourself in the place of David. Consider yourself in his place in the midst of this crisis, what might go through your heart? Your own son is trying to kill you and you're also on the brink of death. You're running away. I don't know if you've ever faced death, but if you ever faced it or ever about on the verge of facing death, that fear that comes upon you, I've faced that at least twice if I can think back in my life, so that fear that comes upon you, but more than that fear, also hurt. Along with that fear, the one who brings that is your own son. Put all of that together and think what would be your reaction. And just think of it and consider it. We must remember that today, as we are considering that, that even when we think of this, that even if men seek to kill us today, I know that no one is seeking to kill us here, but if persecution comes and men seek us to kill us today, that even or even because of something wrong you've done, then that's upon you. But if it's something else, because for the glory of Christ or because of the preaching of the gospel, if men to seek to kill you, then our main enemy today is not people. That Satan is our main foe. I want us to remember that today in the light of today because we are in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament, and so we need to understand that in today's time. Those who seek to destroy the work of Christ is mainly Satan. And that's his main power, that's his main thing to do, is to lead unbelievers astray and leave, leave Christians astray and to 
build upon lies and to distort the gospel so that in the end people will turn away from Christ. So when I said watch out for the enemy, I didn't mean like be on a vigil and be on a guard and just keep thinking everything that happens in your life is because of the enemy, because of Satan. But it's rather to be alert, to be watchful. As Christians, either we keep blaming Satan for everything and we are so watchful of him that we even blame our sins upon him or we go to the extra, other extreme where we are not even aware that he exists and that his work is to draw us away from Christ. And so we need to be careful about both these two extremes and be somewhere in the middle knowing that he is there, he is an adversary and that he is at work to draw us away from Christ. What does David do here? I ask us to think what we would do. But what does David do? David pours all this out to God. He actually takes everything that is in his heart and he speaks it out to God. He tells him what these problems are. How many times have we done this? How many times are we drawn to do this? Satan often tries to tell us that our problems are too big, that our foes are too big, and that Christ will not deliver us because of our sins. He often lies to us. We can see directly in the start over there. David describes his foe and also those who are rising against him. And then what the enemy is saying, what's the enemy saying here? There is no salvation for him in God. Satan often lies. Lies is his major weapon. And he uses that constantly to tell us that you're not good enough or you cannot make it. And so therefore he makes us either flee to sin or he makes us flee away from God. But something that David shows us over here is different because our God is different and his purposes are different. And so therefore we should not be driven by our feelings, but rather take even whatever your feelings are, even if it is hurt and pain and hardship, but take it to God in prayer and ask him for help. And he will deliver. And that brings us to the second point. The Lord hears those who call out to him. We see that from verse 3 to verse 6. Since God hears our prayer, we must call out to him. For he alone can save us. David, now what he does is he draws a contrast between what's happening and the reality of who God is. God is a shield. He hears the cry of his children. And that's what he says over here. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. He says, I cried out aloud and the Lord answered me. Here he reveals a God who listens to his children, who hears our prayers, who responds, unlike just the opposite what the enemy is telling him, that there is no salvation for you. He is speaking out truth to that situation. Many times the circumstances of life would bog us down to trying to dilute the truth. We need to speak truth into that situation. When you have a friend or someone close to you, and they are bogged down, and when they come to you and help, 
you need to speak truth into that situation for them. Oftentimes we speak down at that person that is not very helpful. Help them to see that the situation that they think is too big is not actually so big. Their God is way bigger. And even when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about material blessing and all those kind of things. I'm talking about going through hardships and sufferings and trials and also maybe even just being anxious about your job or being anxious about being a parent at home or being a student in your exams. All these things may seem big, but God is greater than all of these things. His plans are greater than all these things. His, his gifts and his things that he's planned for all of us is way greater than what we think of. God at times takes his children through all the sufferings that they have to go. So it's not that he will pick you out of that suffering. He surely didn't pick David out. David, what was the end? If you see it in chapter 18 in uh, 2 Samuel, he saw the death of his own son. Absalom is killed in the end and David is weeping. He's hurt. He's sad. That hurt that he had, that my son is trying to kill me, went into a different level because now he lost that very son. And so it was not easy for him. He went through a suffering. The apostles also who followed Christ went through their own sufferings. Not everyone is a Daniel where God comes in and brings you out of the lion's den. And even that is to show God, showcase God's glory. Sometimes God showcases glory while sovereignly saving you or delivering you. But sometimes he does it by taking you through the suffering. And yet he is glorified even in that. By strengthening us in our weaknesses. That's why, that's why I think it's Paul who says, when I am weak then I am strong. It's because in our weakness, God strengthens us and sustains us. And this is what David is doing here in the second half. He's pointing to God who's way bigger than the problem he thinks he has and who's going to help him through all of this, who strengthens him, who upholds him, who's his shield and his support and defense. And so for us, Christ's work on the cross today is our shield and our support. It is our salvation. It is from where we receive all our strength and our hope. That is what we sang of today, right? When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter, that is Satan, would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, but for my love is often cold. That's the truth of our love. It keeps fluctuating for God often. But he will hold us fast. That's the truth of scripture. To his children that he will hold us fast. He will hold us fast if he is our shelter, if he is our hiding place, and if he, he is the place where we find rest. And look at David's reaction when he knows that God is his sustainer and his hope. He says, he slept and I woke up again and God sustained him. He was able to sleep in perfect peace. He was not anxious. He was not worried. Oftentimes anxieties and worries come because we make much of our problem. We think of something or we 
And sometimes, like I said, sin has different levels. So we want something, we don't get it, and so we are anxious about it. So oftentimes, the help to fight that anxiousness is to let go of what you want. And oftentimes, that's not the, as easy as I said it, it's not as easy. Because oftentimes, what our soul wants, our soul wants. But if we look to God and know that He is way more pleasing than what we want, then that will help us fight our anxiety. The gospel works in our situations to help us know that Christ is greater and bigger than all the things that we have. All the anxieties in our life that we go to, Christ is greater than all of these things. And so church, I want to encourage us to continue to trust God, knowing that he is a shelter in which we can find hope. We can sleep and we can wake up knowing that God will sustain us. And finally, we see from verses 7 to 8 that salvation is in God alone. From verses 7 to 8, we see that salvation is in God alone. Even David, before he is saved, he's already found rest in God. Do you see that? He's talking about salvation in verse 7, but in verse 6, he's already said that he's slept and he's woken up and he found rest in God. Oftentimes, faith or the peace that we are looking in our heart comes from a decision that we have already made. If we've already made a decision to find something more loving in the world, then we will be anxious, we will be weary, we will be bogged down. But if we make a decision to put Christ as our anchor and say no to these other things, then we will not be anxious. We will not, when anxiety comes, we know that even if this thing that if we want it goes away, I don't care. I'll still be happy. That's exactly what's happening with David. He, the king of the nation of Israel, is being now suddenly made to run away out of his own country by his own son. What more can destroy a person's pride when a king is chased out of his own house. Imagine you in that situation, being chased out of your own house by someone you love, and that person wants to kill you. But we must realize, <coughs> even as we come to the end in verse 7, David says some beautiful things that we might want to pray now. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Do not pray this prayer for your enemy. <laughs> right? Like I said, our enemy is Satan and it is not flesh and blood. Our enemies are not people. Though people may be against us, it's the enemy behind who is working through them. This enemy, Satan, is defeated. The final enemy to be defeated is death. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26. He was defeated on the cross. We see this in Timothy as well. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 to 10. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 to 10. It says, He has saved us and called us to be holy, 
having a holy calling, not because of our works, but by his own purpose and by the grace he granted us in Christ Jesus before time began. And now he has revealed this grace through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul says, who has abolished death and eliminated the way to life and immortality through the gospel. Who has abolished death and eliminated the way to life and immortality through the gospel. David held strong to God even though he could not see this. He looked further to Christ who would come and he held on to it. We look back through the Bible to Christ Jesus who has abolished death. He will come again in Revelation as it says and he will destroy Satan. Satan will be bound. There will be no more tempting. And so that is the beauty of the gospel. If you do not know Christ this way, and if you've not found him as your source of strength and your refuge, if you've not gone to him, then like David went to him, come to him with repentance, and he will forgive your sins. If you turn to him, he will rescue you. David cried and the Lord answered him. The enemy Satan is nothing before our God. He is defeated and it's like what I said, like a dog which is really tiny, which is trying to growl and show. But Satan is nothing but a growling dog who just barks. He cannot bite. It is God who controls even what he does. And he will soon eternally be destroyed. And so if you do not know Christ, I would say you should come to him. And the destruction that David is talking about, his literal enemies, which happened to Absalom, is exactly what, what is going to happen to Satan, which is what happened to death on the cross when Christ rose again. He triumphed and overcame death, destroying death. Death, therefore, has no power over us. When we die, we will go directly into heaven. For, like I've said this before, a Christian dies once and he lives again. He lives twice, once during rebirth, being born again, and once when he goes to heaven. But the unbeliever dies here on earth and he dies again in heaven. He dies twice and there is no, there's only one physical birth, but we have a physical birth, a spiritual birth, and an eternal birth. There is no death for the Christian. The only death that dies is the wasting away of the flesh. And so like we sang in the end, we look towards Zion city where before the king we will walk. And so let's long and work and yearn for that Zion city where we'll be free from the power of sin, the effect of sin, and the effect of Satan. And let's long and look for that day. And finally in the end he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember in the start, the lie of the enemy was salvation cannot be received by you. The author turns that around and says, Satan does not give salvation. God gives salvation. It belongs to him. He chooses to give whoever he chooses to give it. And therefore, he will give it. And many of us have received it. We are his children. We receive the gift of salvation because he chose to give it. And the word blessed is used or blessing is used again. 
And that blessedness is a gift of the gospel, like we saw before. It is the power of overcoming sin and death. It is the power of living eternally with God. And so I pray that we continue to hold on to the truth of the gospel and that this truth of scripture will be close to our heart even as we go back this week and as we, even as we reflect on Psalm 3 and even as we go through anxieties and we've, many of us were on holiday with Diwali but now we'd be going back to work and the trials and hardships of work would come upon us. Let us use scripture to tackle our fights. Let us not use our own strength, but with our strength, we are weak, we will fail. But with the word of God, we will prevail. We will, we will be able to overcome. So let's look and hold on to the strength of Christ, knowing that he will sustain us, and in him there is hope. Let's pray. Lord, the enemy, Satan, the accuser of the church, says there is no salvation for them. But we know, Lord, that you are a shield. You're the glory and the lifter of our head. Forgive us, O God, if we have failed to see this. Let not our hearts be drawn away to that which is not of you, which is of the world, which is pleasing to the eye. Holy Spirit, help us to cry out to God who hears our prayer. For you alone, O God, can sustain us. You alone can take away the fear. You alone are the Savior and the King who brings us to salvation, who has given the gift of salvation as well. And we know, Lord, that you will deliver, that you will save, and that you will bring us for eternity with you. We, your people, Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation. Help us, O Lord, to boldly share the truths of the gospel with those who do not know you. Help us to rejoice in this gospel, but help us also share of this with others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.